A big thanks to Microsoft for sponsoring this episode of iFreaks to promote the App Center, a continuous integration delivery and feedback suite of cloud services for Swift and Objective-C apps. With App Center, you can automate your iOS and macOS development lifecycle, build, test, distribute, monitor, and push to ship five-star, high-quality apps faster and with confidence. Building a development pipeline in your iOS apps has always been a challenge, but with App Center, you can get started in minutes. Simply connect your GitHub and Bitbucket repos and build in the cloud, test on thousands of real iOS devices, distribute to beta testers and Apple's App Store, and monitor real-world usage with crash and analytics data. As a fully modular suite of services, you can pick and choose the service you need and connect it to the tools you already use. Sign up now on appcenter.ms and spend less time managing your app lifecycle and more time coding. Hey, everybody, and welcome to iFreaks, episode number 237. This week on our panel, we have Erica Sadoon. Hey there from Denver. I'm Andrew Madsen in Salt Lake City, and this week we have a special guest, uh, Derek Hathaway. Derek, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, so I'm, my name is Derek Hathaway. I've been doing mobile app development for, oh gosh, I guess going on nine or 10 years since the first iOS SDKs. Um, and I'm currently working for a company called Lifeomic, and we're setting out to uh, sort of improve the technology and tools and uh, enable researchers who are uh, attempting to sort of improve modern medicine using genomics and all of that really interesting stuff. So Derek, you mentioned uh, before we started recording that um, you were, we were going to talk about GraphQL today and uh, you've been using GraphQL at, at Lifeomic. Can you just tell us a little bit about um, sort of where that came from? What Maybe what is GraphQL? We're going to dive into it more deeply, but what is GraphQL? Um, what problem did it solve for you at, at Lifeomic and how did you find it? Yeah, so uh, I, I'm sort of speaking for the the team that's building our APIs a little bit because I I am sort of new to the company for one thing, and and I wasn't a part of that decision making process. But even prior to coming to Lifeomic, I was at a company here in the Salt Lake Valley called Instructure, and we had been exploring it. Uh, and and what what GraphQL is is it's 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 a query language uh, it, uh, that you use to actually query your API. Uh, and so, you know, we're we're all pretty. Those of us who are building apps today have probably or are very likely using REST, which is a way to um, sort of represent the data that's that's being provided by your server. Uh, and GraphQL is a is a little bit more formal, um, and and it recognizes that your data uh, is represented very well by a graph structure with with different nodes and, and the different types of being uh, the different types of data being different nodes within that graph and and it sort of exploits that graphical nature uh, by allowing you to craft queries that are sort of custom they they weren't prepared ahead of time the way that rest is um, and so uh, I think that there are a lot of advantages on the client side but there's also a lot of advantages on the server side and uh, and and I think the uh, we wanted to try it. Uh, one of the cool things about being a part of a, a, an early startup that's really focused on using the best and most modern technology is that we're willing to take a little bit of risk by trying a new technology to see if it works or fits for us. And uh, our experience with GraphQL has been spectacular. It's it's been really great. Um, we've we've learned a lot, uh, and you know we're still learning. There are some some features within GraphQL that we haven't gotten to yet, but 
for the sort of typical things that you would do with a REST API, we've been able to do all of that. Uh, and and it's, it's saved us some code, both on the client and the server side. So let's, let's dig into this a little bit more. Um, what makes GraphQL different from REST? Because you can, you can send query, you know, every REST API I've ever, REST API I've ever used allows you to query the, the, the API for, you know, whatever data it is you're looking for. How does, how, how does GraphQL do that differently? Yeah, the the key difference I think is is that you can craft your query for very specific purposes. You know, let's take REST for an example. Um, say that you have a database full of students. Um, you're building a learning tool of some sort, and you want to query the list of students that are in a class. Uh, you know, with REST, you you can get that data, and and very likely you would get a, a list of of students represented in JSON. And they would have all of the properties you would expect a student to have. Um, but, but let's say that you want a little bit more data than just, you know, the, the student's data. You want to include their current grade and maybe, um, uh, as an example, you might want to query the last assignment that they turned in. And, and, and with REST, typically you would end up having to make several requests to get all of that data to the client. You'd have to first probably fetch the students. Then you would probably have to fetch each student individually. You'd have to query each student's uh, assignment submissions. Uh, you might even, if it wasn't a part of the original REST spec or the, or the API that, that was built and provided, or if the API is out of your control, then you know, you may not even have the, the current, the student's current grade for that course. And so with REST, you're kind of, you know, what you see is what you get. What, what's in the documentation as far as what's available is what you're limited to. With GraphQL, on the other hand, you can actually craft your query and, and specify exact fields with a, of a student that you want to query. And not only that, because your data is a graph, you can say, not only do I want the students, but I also want the students' current grade for, for this course. And not only that, I want um, the top five assignments that they submitted last. And so in a single query, you know, a single connection, a single round trip to the server, you can get all of the data you need in, in, one, in one go. Uh, so that, now, that's probably one of the key differences. Where does, where does this live? Is there a server component and a client component so that you can craft these very complex queries? Or is it that it's just using a smart way of getting things and then filtering things on your end? Uh, yeah, great question. Um, you, do, you do have to provide a, graph, a GraphQL server. Uh, and so there is a server component to that. And, and there are there's there's a number of different ways to do it. GraphQL is an open standard, and so there's there's several different implementations. Uh, and I think in just about every language uh, that you know, whether you're using Go on the back end or uh, JavaScript with Node or Ruby, what, whatever your back end is, there's very likely um, tools, you know, gems and libraries that will provide that. Uh, another very common approach, and and one of the strong one of the values value adds for the server side uh, 
is is that you can actually, you know, that the data source that you're querying doesn't necessarily have to be a database. So one of the things that we started out doing initially on the app that we're working on here is we we actually started up out having two separate GraphQL APIs that we're querying, um, and then just recently we we've added a feature where we're actually using a uh, a GraphQL proxy service that will talk to those uh, servers individually. And one of the values to that is that that you can actually combine data from different data sources in ways that maybe weren't intended initially when those those you know first APIs were created. So you can create relationships between things that aren't persisted in in both databases, or or you, you know your data can sort of uh, remain uh, a little bit agnostic about other other types of data or other services. And so um, that's one of the other values is that with GraphQL you can stitch together several data data points, and you know it might be that. Behind your GraphQL proxy, some of the data is coming from another data source, or sorry, another API that's a REST API, or it might be querying another GraphQL API, or it might be going directly to a database and actually doing some SQL queries. And then the view that's presented to the client is just one consistent view. And so, so yes, to answer your question, you, you do sort of have you do have to have a GraphQL server. And then on the client side, there are a number of, of third-party libraries uh, that that actually provide, uh, like for example, there's a Swift library that's provided by Apollo uh, that we use um, that will do some really nice things for you, uh, including uh, validating your queries against the schema. Um, so, for example, if if I if it if the server deploys a change that that I wasn't expecting, I actually can get a compile time error in Xcode saying, "Hey, you know, this property is not what you expected." Either it you know, one example is that it might have been an optional property and now it's no longer optional. And so, you know, I'll actually get compile time uh, warnings or, or errors if, if something changes. So you've talked about an example where people would be fetching grades for students and so forth. But reality suggests that where people are working, even if it's something as open as social media, that privacy is king. So if you're going to start doing things that involve any personal records, that involves anything related to the health field, that involves, involves anything related to financial fields and so forth, you are going to have to be talking about some level of security when querying things, especially if you are creating one of these Frankenstein systems that are accessing information that you don't necessarily own if you know there's say HIPAA information or whatever that's on a separate storage area so how does this work with security and I'm talking the levels not only you know from the client to the server but from the server to other servers yeah so this is uh, very similar to I think the way that you would achieve this level of security with REST, um, you, you definitely have to be mindful of that. Um, and, and I think that we're kind of getting to the edge of my knowledge here because I wasn't really involved in building the, the database portion. Uh, but, but yeah, all of that definitely still applies and, and you've got to be careful about that. You know, we're in healthcare and so security from day one of the founding of our company uh, was, was very high and you know, top priority. So, 
Yeah, I think I think you would achieve that through the same sort of uh, methods that you would with a REST web service, where you know you you create access control uh, and and different resources have different levels of access control, and uh, you know and and uh, certainly um, you know it, you, it is very possible to you know be HIPAA compliant. In fact, we we actually just barely uh, just. Uh, Let's see. So we've been HIPAA compliant for a while, but we just received our high trust certification, which is kind of like a, a higher level certification above HIPAA compliance. And um, and so it's definitely doable. But, yeah, I, I think it, it has the same sort of complexity problem that you do with a REST service where you've got to be very careful about what data you have access to. And uh, and, and, you know, with GraphQL, if, if you do you know, craft a query and, and you're specifically within your query asking for a piece of data that you don't have access to. One of the downsides to uh, this approach where I'm going to uh, specify my query very carefully and, and ask for exactly the data I want is that I may not get some of the data that I wanted, or sorry, I won't get any of the data because my query is asking for one small piece of data that I'm not allowed. Uh, and so in, in that case, uh, my expectation, though I I will say I don't think I've run into this. Uh, I haven't tried to to do any malicious querying, but maybe I should. <laughs> um, but uh, my expectation would be that the entire query would fail, uh, and so I wouldn't get any of the data. You know, whereas in a in a REST uh, a REST approach, I might have gotten, excuse me, the list of students, and uh, and then when I went to query their grades, I might have been told, sorry, you know, you're not a teacher in this class. You don't have access to their grades. Um, and so at least I could have shown the list of students and, and shown an error when I tried to fetch the grades. Whereas with GraphQL, I wouldn't even be able to show the list of students because the entire, entire query would fail based on that. And, and I could be wrong about that. And, um, like I said, I haven't, I haven't tried to sort of stretch the capabilities or, or, uh, craft queries that, that violate any, uh, access protection. Uh, but I do know it's possible, you, you know, and, uh, in fact, in stand up today, one of our backend guys said, you know, uh, that was a task that he recently did. He went in and sort of shored up, um, you know, in, in the early stages of an unreleased app. Sometimes we relax the permissions a little bit. <laughs> uh, and so uh, he, he mentioned today that he has gone through and made sure that, you know, that uh, as a user, I don't have access to a user's data that I don't have any kind of relationship with and, and where I should not have access. And so I, it's certainly possible. And, and obviously, security is something you need to be aware of. And, and make sure that you are secure enough for your own use cases and, and for your users' use cases. In our case, healthcare means sort of the top level of security. Um, yeah. I, I'm curious to know if you, uh, let's say you don't use a third-party library, so you're not using like the Apollo library that you were talking about. Um, what do you do to use GraphQL? Is it just some data you send up with with your uh HTTP request? Does it get turned into a URL? What? How does that? How does that actually work? A big thanks to Microsoft for sponsoring this episode of iFreaks to promote the App Center, a continuous integration, delivery, and feedback suite of cloud services for Swift and Objective C apps. With App Center, you can automate your iOS and macOS development lifecycle, build, test, distribute, monitor, and push to ship five-star, high-quality apps faster and with confidence. Building a development pipeline in your iOS apps has always been a challenge, but with App Center, you can get started in minutes. 
Simply connect your GitHub and Bitbucket repos and build in the cloud, test on thousands of real iOS devices, distribute to beta testers and Apple's App Store, and monitor real-world usage with crash and analytics data. As a fully modular suite of services, you can pick and choose the service you need and connect it to the tools you already use. Sign up now on appcenter.ms and spend less time managing your app lifecycle and more time coding. Yeah, that's a good question. So under the hood, um, all uh, it is using HTTP, obviously. Uh, I don't know any technology that's interesting on you know the internet these days that isn't using HTTP. I'm just kidding. I mean, there's lots, but for for the, for this case, yeah, it, definitely HTTP. And the way that your queries are structured uh, is that you are actually sending um, a a query that's using the GraphQL query language. Uh, as a post, and so even if you're just uh, and and uh, if you're coming from a REST background, then you you know there's probably like red flags going off, and you're like, wait, 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 posts are for mutating things. That's not how you, you know. But, but you have to remember, we're not doing REST anymore. This isn't REST. In fact, uh, oddly enough, and, and this might be a red flag for people as well. Um, uh, GraphQL actually is probably a little bit more like uh, um, SOAP than than it is REST. Uh, you know, in that it's very, very structured. Uh, the, the schema is formally specified, which um, REST is, is sort of informally specified. You can use tools like Swagger, for example, to, to have a more formal specification on top of REST. But with GraphQL, you have a formal specification. And, and so what you're sending is, is a post request, a post HTTP request, and the payload for that request is going to be a, a GraphQL query, uh, which it's really just text. It looks a lot like JSON, but it's not JSON. Um, you know, you've got your curly braces for structure, um, and then you have, you know, you might specify that it's a query, and you might specify the operation or or the the set of data that I'm I'm interested in is the students, for example, and then you know you'd have curly braces and specify within those curly braces what properties of a student you want. You know, one of the advantages, I, I, everybody who's done REST development in an app has fetched a REST endpoint to get one piece of data. You know, you might fetch the list of students just to get their names and their avatars. But because it's a REST endpoint, you also get, uh, you know, the, the date that they enrolled and you get, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the last message that they sent or whatever the REST endpoint has. You know, you end up with a lot more data than you need. One of the driving forces behind the development of GraphQL, I think, was uh, was Facebook um, sort of exploring, uh, you know, how would we build a, a, a data communication protocol that would be really useful in, uh, you know, in, say, a, a developing country where they don't have, have the Internet infrastructure that we enjoy here in the United States. Um, and so uh, concerns about sending too much data, not enough data, um, or making multiple round trips were sort of played into it. But yeah, under the hood, it's really just sending uh, a bunch of text uh, as a as a post request, uh, and the response is is, is JSON. Uh, and so Apollo uh, Apollo provides all of that. Uh, but in addition to that, Apollo has code generation tools so that it will actually generate Swift code for you that matches the schema of your uh, of, of the API that you're querying, which uh, has pros and cons. And we can certainly talk about that if you're interested. Um, uh, but but yeah, under the hood, it's it's a pretty simple uh, HTTP based protocol. What I'm interested in is when you were looking for this kind of solution, 
what other systems did you consider and what were the factors that made you decide to go with this as opposed to the other ones? Where, where's the state of the technology and how do people making similar kinds of decisions evaluate what's out there? Yeah. Um, so we were, in fact, we, we, we started out with rest, um, and, and we even, even in our current app where we've migrated almost everything to GraphQL, we're still using some REST endpoints. Um, and so uh, I think uh, one of the considerations that, that you should look into with GraphQL is, you know, are you going to be able to leverage uh, or, or will this provide value to you down the road if you want to be able to make a change to a query or or develop new features that you hadn't anticipated. And, you know, if, if you're going to do that, will you, so, you know, if, I think if, if you do GraphQL really well, there, there's, there's an opportunity for you to build new features without having to go back and, and make changes to your REST, uh, your, your REST API. I, I, <laughs> I don't know if any of you have had, had this experience, but I've worked at a company for several years and, and, I can tell you that our, our REST API sort of uh, started to look a little bit like Frankenstein's monster because, you know, you go back and say, well, this API does almost what I need, but I need this, this piece of data and this piece of data and this piece of data that's not provided. And, you know, we say, well, we can't, we can't just change the API. We'll break backwards compatibility. So let's introduce a flag or a query parameter that says, okay, include the student's grades in this call. You know, and, and so your REST endpoint starts to, to grow uh, and become a little bit unmaintainable, and and you know that's one of the advantages with GraphQL is that you know you, you are just representing your your graph. You, you're sort of formally specifying this is what our data looks like. These are the relationships between the different objects. Uh, and once you have that larger specification, you've created that graph, that schema that declares what your data looks like. Uh, um, you know, you can craft queries that you just didn't even anticipate back when you started. Um, and, and so uh, that's one of the big value adds is that, is that you know, you don't have to worry about uh, backwards compatibility. You don't have to worry about making big changes to your REST APIs to support new features. Ideally, if you've done your work well, and obviously, you know, there, there might be some performance issues. Maybe you didn't index the right things. Maybe, uh, you know, you're, you're asking for more data than than is reasonable and, and all of those concerns are still there. Um, but uh, another thing that sort of speaks to the state of the art of, of GraphQL and, and how there's, there's a lot of momentum behind it is that what you see is a lot of companies are actually adopting that for their public APIs. Uh, just to name a couple, um, obviously Facebook uh, is using GraphQL. Um, uh, GitHub, their, their version four of their API is all, is all GraphQL based. Uh, and and so yeah, there's there's a lot of momentum behind it, and I think the the sort of future proof nature of it uh, as a mobile developer that's really useful. And and you know I can speak from experience that uh, sometimes it's you know with all the different priorities that happen in a big organization, sometimes the changes that you need as a mobile developer to introduce a new feature or to fix a bug might depend on somebody actually going back and, and publishing, you know, documentation and changing your REST API and, uh, you know, making database changes and, 
and making changes to the REST API specification and getting all of that deployed. Uh, you know, and you you will you will almost certainly have those same problems with GraphQL. Uh, but I think once you get to a certain stage and and your if your data model is well thought out and your relationships are there, uh, you know you, you might find yourself being able to build whole new features in your app without having to actually have any backend work done. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's uh, that, that. Those are some of the things that led us to make the decision to adopt GraphQL. You know, seeing the momentum behind it, and then also just you know the idea that uh, you know if, if we build our our uh, our data model in in an intelligent way and in a way that makes sense for our applications, then you know, we'll be able to add new features without having to make big changes to our APIs. Did you consider going with Google's, I think they're called Apogee? I'm not familiar with that. Uh, uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know if that was considered when we were looking uh, whether or not to use GraphQL. Mm -hmm. um, I know that there's a fairly big group of iOS developers who are using the Firebase product with Apigee, which does the big structural support for creating APIs um, and then lets you not have to worry so much about the security, the redundancy, you know, uh, downtimes and so forth for creating, you know, their app, their API suite. It sounds here like when you're creating these queries that you can have that flexibility that is supposedly offered with Apigee as well, that you can customize those queries to get what you need in those single calls, that the infrastructure is then provided for you. But it sounds like this is something that you yourself host as opposed to using somebody else's infrastructure. Do, am I reading that right? Uh, yes, that, that is true. We do host our own uh, GraphQL servers. Um, uh, we're actually using uh, AWS and Lambdas, but we have the Lambdas that, that are sort of the, the proxy, mm -hmm. the GraphQL proxy, and then, then the individual GraphQL APIs. A lot of people who do work with Amazon Web Services have been very happy with it. How have your experiences been? It's been good. Uh, they they certainly have a reputation for having great uptime. Um, my my personal experience with Amazon is I feel like it's it's kind of hard to get past the the just sort of fire hose of, of all the features and and all the documentation you have to read. Uh, I. Uh, I've used Firebase on personal projects, and since you mentioned it, I, I feel like it's really nice and easy to use. Um, and I wasn't aware of Apigee. This is something I'll probably look into, but um, I didn't know that uh, Firebase was using a sort of open standard for their communication protocols. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, also kind of as a side note, um, one of the new features that we haven't adopted yet with, with GraphQL that I'm looking forward to is that you can actually do subscriptions with GraphQL, which provide some of the, the same features that Firebase provides where, you know, you're getting uh, live updates and, and you can observe a query. And, and what's really neat about that is, you know, similar to Firebase, the way that you can sort of say, I'm interested in this uh, set of data and, and here are my, here's my filter or my uh, predicate that I want applied to it before I get updated and, and all of that. Uh, you can do something very similar with GraphQL subscriptions where you can create uh, use the GraphQL uh, 
you know, query language to specify exactly what you want to subscribe to. And then the server will send you just that data uh, as a subscription. So, um, yeah, kind of interesting. If somebody wants to know, if, if somebody, you know, has listened to this and thinks GraphQL sounds interesting and wants to use it in their app or try it out in their app, where, where should they start? How should they go about learning it? Uh, yeah. So honestly, uh, one recommendation I would make, and this is something I wish somebody would have recommended to me a lot earlier on, uh, would be to just jump on uh, a site like GitHub, you know, especially as developers, we're all pretty familiar with version control and, and Git and all of the different types of data that are involved in, in Git repositories and users and pull requests and, you know, those sort of things, but just go to, go to GitHub. And if you can find it and, uh, you know, I don't know if you have show notes and stuff, you can drop a link to this in, but, uh, on GitHub, their API, you can actually log in with your GitHub account and you can use a tool called graphical. Uh, and that's spelled like GraphQL, except there's an I in there for the, you know, graphical, uh, but you can actually just query uh, GitHub's API. Uh, and so you can try out different queries, um, you know, and, and you, I, I'm not sure if you can do mutations. So the, the other side of the coin, you know, you can query data, but you can also mutate data and it's called mutations in GraphQL. Uh, but you can actually query, uh, you know, give me this uh, user with this login uh, and give me their repositories and give me their last 10 pull requests, you know, and you can just sort of start exploring. And what you'll see is that um, graphical as a tool, uh, you know, because you, you're formally specifying your API, <clears throat> it will give you hints and auto completion on, on the different types of data that you can query in a given context. Uh, and there's, there's direct links to the documentation for the API in line as well. So if you, if you can't find the, the data that you're looking for, you know, you can you can quickly jump over to the documentation. So I, I would recommend, you know, if you want to kick the tires on on GraphQL, uh, you know, jump on GitHub and find their API Explorer and just start querying data. Uh, and you can see, you know, how you could sort of apply that to make uh, your, your networking calls a little bit more efficient in your app. Seems like I saw you using a version of graph graphical that was it was made into a Mac app. I assume it was just a web wrapper kind of thing, but yes, yep. You can actually download graphical and then you can, uh, you know, you can put in your own headers for authentication. Uh, we use that, uh, for, for, you know, prototyping new, new API calls that we want to make, uh, testing out queries, uh, reproducing bugs, you know, that, that do happen. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's been a really useful tool. So, yeah, I think they're all using a tool called graphical and it is, it is a web-based tool and, you know, one of the cool side effects of that is that companies like GitHub can deploy it uh, to a public, uh, you know, uh, server so that you can log in and, and play with your your Git graph. Um, but yeah, there is a, a downloadable version that that very likely is some kind of Electron app or something. But yeah, that's been very very useful for you know it it provides some of the similar functionality that you'd get from a tool like Postman or Paw. Another thing that uh, you, you could do that. Uh, as far as getting started is, you know, there, there's just like anything, there's any number of sample applications you can download uh, and, and try out. Uh, there are there are tools uh, and there are some, some providers that will actually let you, uh, you know, if you're not a backend developer and you don't want to go through the effort of deploying uh, GraphQL to a server somewhere or even running one locally. Uh, there's a couple of 
uh, tools out there that are providing hosted GraphQL instances, sort of similar to Firebase, where you can specify your schema using their online editor, and then they've got graphical built in, so you can try it out. Uh, and I think one of those, uh, there's a uh, GraphCool has one, I think. I think it's called Prisma, uh, if I'm remembering right. But yeah, so you know, there's there's a number of tools like that that you can try out. Cool. Is there anything else you think we should cover that we haven't talked about yet? Oh, you know, I wanted to mention one of the trade-offs. Uh, you know, I, I kind of mentioned it in passing, but, uh, you know, we, we talked about GraphQL and how you can, you know, if you wanted to, you could go right to the to the uh, the bare metal, so to speak, and, and craft your own queries and just send them as, as raw strings. Uh, you know, but I don't think anybody wants to use that approach, and I wouldn't recommend it. You know, you're very likely going to use a library like Apollo. Uh, but one of the approaches that uh, at least Apollo takes, and, and I think other languages and other tools use different approaches, but Apollo uses code generation uh, within Swift. And that has uh, some pros and cons. One of the pros I, I mentioned was you get compile time checking, which is very nice. You know, with REST, you don't have that. Unless you're using a tool like Swagger, you don't you very likely don't have that that safety net to fall back on where, you know, you, you're actually writing your code and you hit build and run and, and you know whether or not you named a property correctly or you specified the type of that field uh, on, on the user object correctly. Uh, and Graph, uh, GraphQL does provide that and the Apollo client does as well. Uh, you can actually add a build phase in Xcode to do the code generation to actually inspect the JSON uh, schema file uh, and actually generate uh, queries and and these this code that's generated is based on the queries that you craft. So you know using our student example, you know if I've created a query that queries all the students from a course and their current grade and their last assignment submission, then I'm going to get a Swift uh, a a code generated Swift query object that has all of the types and data that are res a response from that. You know so we're not doing any JSON parsing manually, um, but instead it provides that that level of type safety and, and co-generation. Uh, and, and the other edge of that sword is that, you know, it's generated code, which if you've done any generated code in the past, you know that it can be uh, very cumbersome, very verbose. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of duplication. One, one problem that we've run into, and uh, there, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a, an idea called a fragment that's useful in GraphQL where you can specify, this is a, you know, you can declare a fragment and say, this is what my user object typically looks like. These are the properties that I will want every time I ask for a user object. And then you, you can reuse that within your queries. And the, the advantage that that provides is that you don't have, you know, 10 different Swift structs declared as user uh, and they're all namespaced. And that, that has its own set of caveats and, you know, sort of, uh, downsides, but yeah, just something I thought I'd mention because you know it's not all roses and, and rainbows uh, to adopt GraphQL and uh, the nature of Swift being a very strict programming language. Um, you know, you end up with kind of verbose uh, machine-generated code, which can have some sharp edges, uh, I will say. But uh, but you know, there, there's workarounds for that. Fragments is one workaround. Another thing that we've used in in places where fragments weren't sufficient is that we've introduced protocols and just sort of had uh, used extensions to adopt those protocols, so that throughout our code we're using a common protocol rather than you know trying to 
uh, specialize our code for all of the different types of queries. But yeah. Very cool. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, well, I shouldn't say get a hold of you. If people want to know more about you, like follow you on Twitter or something like that, where can they find you? Yeah, Twitter is probably uh, the best way to reach out to me uh, if you have questions or if you want to follow me. Um, and my handle is just D-E-R-R-H, just kind of short for Derek Hathaway. Um, so, yeah, that's probably the best way. You can find me on GitHub, I think, under the same name. All right. Well, if there's nothing else, let's get to picks. Want to automatically build, test, and release your iOS and macOS apps? Try AppCenter. Connect your repo within minutes, build in the cloud, test on thousands of real iOS devices, distribute to beta testers and Apple's App Store, and monitor real-world usage with crash and analytics data. Spend less time managing your app lifecycle and more time coding. Visit appcenter.ms and get started for free. Erica, do you have any picks for us? I think I do. I'm going to pick Salt Lake City. And the reason I'm going to pick Salt Lake City is I am tremendously jealous of Dave DeLong's constant talk about how incredible the developer community is out there and how tight and supportive they are of each other. And that just sounds so absolutely lovely that I thought I would give it a little push and made it my pick. Well, that's very nice of you. I'll second that pick. Uh, I like Salt Lake. We've talked about and thought about moving a couple times in the last several years and in the end have decided that there's not really anywhere that we would enjoy living more than we enjoy it here. So we've stayed here and the, the specifically the iOS community here is really, really great. So I've, I, I started doing this when I didn't know anybody else in real life that did Mac development. And, um, now we have a big community full of great people that including Derek, including Derek and uh, including Dave DeLong who, uh, you know, I feel like are my friends and we get together and we do cocoa heads, but we also get together and go to movies together and do, you know, just fun stuff. So it's, it's pretty cool here. Derek, do you have a pick for us? <clears throat> yeah. So uh, <laughs> I had a little bit of trouble coming up with an idea or, or what might be interesting to me. Um, I'm, you know, I just started an, a new job here at, at Lifeomic and it's a startup, which means, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, often spending evenings writing code and uh, wearing multiple hats, doing recruiting and stuff. And, uh, but I, uh, one of the things that's been interesting about this new job is it's, it's a totally new field for me. And so my pick is uh, microbiology, which, you know, it's kind of bizarre, but it's been eye-opening to work for a, a health company that's really focused on uh, genomics and, and, you know, how the body works. And my background is like, all in physics and and digital systems and computer science and so i didn't take a lot of life science courses when i was going to school and so i don't have very much of a background in it so it's been really eye-opening to talk about you know the 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 little organisms and the little uh you know organelles inside of our bodies that are making us function and uh it's been interesting too because i've kind of gained this per perspective of looking at our bodies as like this giant distributed system and you know, and, and how it makes, you know, our, our attempts to build distributed systems sort of pale in comparison to, you know, what biology has come up with over the, the, the centuries and, you know, eons or whatever. But yeah, so kind of interesting. And, and that's been sort of eye opening for me. I, I, I still love what I do more. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not regretting the decision to go into computer science uh, and, and, and I love programming. So 
uh, it's, it's kind of fun, though, to learn about something new. The funny thing is that ages ago, I can't remember exactly how long ago, a whole bunch of computer scientists decided to help the, the microbiologists figure out how uh, all the amino acids got encoded by their genes. They figured, oh, this is great. This is perfect. This will be us. This will be very, very simple and logical and straightforward because we do information coding all the time. So we will be of enormous use to you. And it turns out, at least the story that has been told to me <laughs> turns out, that the way that we produce the amino acids, at least you know, in terms of gene coding, is quite ugly. And it just shows a more naturalistic approach of change and selection than it did good design. And I always thought it was hilarious that in came all these computer scientists saying, you know, we know how coding happens without really understanding it from a biological viewpoint, which did it in quite a different way. Yeah, it's been very eye-opening for me and, you know, and especially just the way that sort of anything can happen, you know, even though, uh, you know, our biology is pretty well behaved. I, I mean, I mean, that's why we have this whole healthcare industry that's so big and, and why we are able to build companies and build products in, in this space is that, uh, you know, even though our, our biology is pretty well behaved, there's a lot of anomalies that we're trying to get our, 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 our heads around, including, uh, you know, some of these diseases like cancer and diabetes and Parkinson's and, you know, and it all comes back to that, uh, you know, that DNA and how, how those uh, amino acids are, are encoding things. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty interesting. All right. Well, I've got one pick today. Uh, it's a l little out of the ordinary for me. I don't play a lot of video games, but I got a, a Nintendo Switch last week and uh, bought Super Mario Odyssey for it. And I've just been loving it. And I'm not, I, I didn't grow up with a Nintendo. In fact, this is the first Nintendo I've had really other than a Game Boy. Um, so I haven't played Super Mario Brothers a lot or anything, but it's just a really, really well done game. And I've been having a blast playing it. And I think it's probably old news to a lot of people listening. But, you know, if you haven't checked it out, <laughs> go play it. It's a fun game. How Skinner boxy is it? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, it is very much about collecting things. But... I, you know, like I, you collect these moons and some of them are pretty well hidden. And I think there's around a thousand in the game. And so you, and you have to beat the game. Some of them don't even become available until you beat the game. So it's a big, long game, at least for a, you know, Super Mario Brothers kind of game. Um, but the thing I've liked about it is just really creative. There's a lot of um, really fun art and character design. And there's this new mechanic where you throw your hat on something and you sort of can turn into that thing. So like in, in one of the first levels, there's a giant T-Rex sleeping on the ground and you throw your hat at it and you become the T-Rex and you get to stomp around and smash things. And um, and have all your mecha joys right, happen. Right, exactly. But then there's other, you know, other times when you take over a frog or you take over a, in it, there's inanimate objects. You You take over a big giant boulder and, kind of shuffle it around and so uh it's, it's just a very creative game yeah we we've been playing it at our house too and my my wife and kids just love you know they'll sit down and play it and you know another the multiplayer is kind of interesting i don't know if you've explored that at all but you can have one person be the hat 
you know, and, and one person be Mario. And that kind of changes things a, a little bit too. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, I don't really have anyone to play that with. My two-year-old keeps asking to play it with me, and then I don't. It doesn't actually work because he doesn't know what he's doing at all. But he he will grab a controller from me and make the hat fly around to where I can't see it anymore. But it, it seems fun if you have a competent second player. Yeah. Well, I, I won't. I won't say that my kids uh, fall under the whole composite, competent second player uh, naming. But uh, yeah, they do all right. <laughs> it's fun though. My daughter and son find that there is a struggle for who gets to be the primary player and who gets to be the secondary one. When I was a kid, we had a computer game called Captain Comic. It was a PC game, like a DOS game. And um, I thought it was really hard when I was a kid. I think it probably is not actually that hard, but when I was a kid, it seemed really hard. And and you could shoot fireballs. Uh, that was kind of your weapon. And... I, f- I figured out that an easy way to actually be able to play the game and not die right away was to just constantly shoot fireballs. But I couldn't really, I didn't, I guess I didn't have the coordination to just constantly shoot fireballs while I was also running and jumping and doing all the other stuff. So I convinced my little brother to sit at the keyboard with me and he would just tap the shoot a fireball button over and over and over again the entire time I played. And somehow I managed to convince him that that was fun and he would do that every time I wanted to play the game. And now I realize how much of a ripoff that was for him. But oh, come on, you were a good brother. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, yeah, that's awesome. I think, I think, uh, you know, controlling the hat is a little bit more engaging than just you know tapping the fire the fireball button. <laughs> but, but yeah, there is definitely a struggle. My my two kids, one of them's old enough that she makes a pretty good primary player, and the other one's just old enough that he makes a passable player. So. That usually is how they how it shakes out when they play together. All right. Well, uh, thanks for coming on, Derek, especially at the last minute. I think that was interesting, and it gives people something to check out that they may not have used before. Uh, and with that, we're going to end the show. So we'll see everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.